Welcome back to the Eye on the Tigers podcast. I'm Dave Matter, Mizzou beat writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, stltoday.com. We are joined by Ben Fredrickson, Post-Dispatch columnist, who is in the studio again, in the podcast studio, downtown St. Louis. We've got a lot to discuss. Missouri plays at Tennessee on Saturday. Eli Drigwitz has a brand new contract. He's the $6 million man until he's the $6.25 million man a year later. Uh, and uh, Missouri Hoops has started. They play their first game Monday. They've got a couple games this weekend. So, Ben, a lot to discuss. I guess we start with uh, the big news of the week, the contract extension and the massive raise for one Elia Drinkwitz. What I thought we were going to start with why Why doesn't Isaiah Mosley start? No, I'm, I'm oh, kidding. No. I'm kidding. We'll get to that. Um, Eli, yeah, congrats to Eli. Um, I think uh, I think congrats to every other SEC coach who will quickly use that to get their own massive sure. raise. There will probably be a nice fruit basket waiting for Eli from Josh Heupel when he rolls into Knoxville. Shane Beamer, the rest of the gang are will be will be using Eli's new contract as a foothold. I think there are well, there's kind of two ways to look at this. There's the Mizzou specific angle, Dave, and then the the big angle. The big angle is everybody's getting paid more and more in college football coaching. You're either getting extended or you're getting bought out. And it doesn't seem like any program is willing to just say, hey, that was a year where we want to see more the next year. So we're not going to fire you. We're also not going to give you a new deal. We're just going to let this thing play out. Mizzou could have done that here. And I'm not really sure why why the Tigers didn't um, Eli was not going to leave Mizzou for some other program. And where would he go? Like what school was beating down the door of Mizzou to hire Eli Drinkwitz? If he wants right. to leave for Georgia tech, you say, thanks uh, for your service. See you, see you down the road. And I don't think he would have done that. So it was, a, it was, it was unnecessary to provide him this deal. However, as you had the details, it really, I don't think it changes the conversation all that much. If he continues to coach at Mizzou, he's going to make a lot more money up to $7 million. Has he earned $7 million? Hell no. But uh, that's the way the SEC bottom of coaching salaries just keeps going. And Mizzou, I think, decided it wanted to be competitive and whoever it had as its head coach. I don't think this changes, Dave, the fact that things don't go right in year four, if that's not a breakthrough season that signifies this guy's the right coach and he's got this thing rolling um you have the buyout numbers it it actually doesn't stop Mizzou from turning the page on him in year four so I would not read this as hey they're pot committed to Eli Drinkwitz forever I would read this as they wanted to elevate the coaching salary to be competitive in the SEC and year four has to be the year where Eli proves he's the right guy to give that kind of deal to absolutely I mean I think it it makes it puts more money in his bank account I think it also uh, heightens the pressure on him and there's nothing more he needs to ask for you know there's nothing that he can say well we could win more games but we don't have enough of this he's got still a brand new sparkling south end zone facility he's got the the under construction indoor facility that should be done by the summer um, he, this is not only a raise for him it's a raise for his coaching staff and his support staff uh, between all of them including the head coach salaries are going to go up by, I think $5.1 million next year. Um, so there's, he, he can't say, Hey, I don't have enough money to go hire this guy or that guy. Um, so there, there's that piece of it too. Uh, so there's nothing left to really ask for. I'm sure any head coach could find more things they want, but he he's been given the resources and he, to his credit, he made that point on the sec conference call this week and said, you know, the expectations and the pressure should now match the resources that we've been given. Okay. You asked for it. 
Uh, that means if you're sitting in November next year at four and five, that's not going to be good enough. Now, that's not to say, you know, there's an ultimatum. You win X amount of games to keep your job. That's not how Desiree Reed francois works. But this does put more urgency to win. It, it puts uh, more pressure, more expectations on him, and it should. Uh, he described this as, you know, the SEC coaching market was reset last year. Okay, um, you're just resetting it again. <laughs> you know, he's going to go from like 12th to 8th in salary in the SEC to probably back down to about 11 this offseason. And then once Brent Venables and Steve Sarkeesian join the league, that's just going to push him down lower. So there's only so many times that you can say, I need a raise so I can be ranked higher in the pecking order. You know, I, that's just that that falls flat eventually if you haven't earned it, haven't done more to justify it. Uh, so we'll see what what comes of this. Good for him. Jimmy Sexton is the best agent in the business for a reason. He creates these markets uh, by representing everybody and has the power. And uh, I think it maybe the more interesting thing is what does this say about the power structure at Mizzou, which is always something interesting. You've got a president and a chancellor uh, who are the same person in Moon Choi. It used to be the president or the chancellor, which one had more power. Now it's the same person. You have a board of curators who always want to uh, be involved and influential in not just athletics, but the hirings and the firings. And then you have a new, uh, I'd say, dynamic uh, athletics director who is very well connected and networked in the industry. And she also did not hire Eli Drinkwitz, so we know that. So just a lot of really interesting uh, kind of behind the scenes political maneuvering here. And also a head coach that knows how to work those angles. We know that. I mean, if he's if he's good at anything, it's uh, you know, putting people in his corner and it, he's done it on the recruiting trail. And I, it's fair to say he's done it, uh, with the administration and the powers at the university. Yeah. I think Eli is a likable guy. And I think he's also a very smart guy. He knows who to lean on. If he's saying, Hey, these sec coaching salaries are getting adjusted again. Why isn't mine getting bumped up? And he clearly knew where to go. Now, I don't think there's a, any debate at least here, that if Missouri wants to be competitive in the SEC, you can't be dragging the bottom of the barrel in what you pay your head coach. You have to be competitive. Now, that does not mean that Missouri has the right coach. And <laughs> This is an example of giving, giving someone a significant, I mean, a very significant raise when really on the results, on the field results, haven't, haven't forced their hand. So you can look at it two ways. You can say, hey, if Mizzou wants to compete in the SEC, it can't be, it can't be you know, dragging behind the field. And there's all, another school of thought that says, why would you give someone a massive raise if you weren't, a, weren't afraid of losing them? And that's, that's not always the best reason to, to not give someone a raise. But right. B, you're, you haven't really seen a breakthrough that justifies, hey, this is the guy who will be here through the end of this extension now. I was two weeks ago, I was saying people calling for Eli to, to be fired after this season were being premature. And I still believe that. But for me, it's always been about year four. And I've been saying that since before the season started. So when 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 the season started poorly and everybody thought he should be pushed out, I was saying it's about year four. When they give him this massive extension, I'm going to say it's still about year four. Ask Barry Odom how quickly things can go from getting an extension and a raise to being gone. Also, 
you know, you had the buyout language, the, the previous contract did not have any mitigating language about if he goes and gets another job, that's less of what they owe. So this new buyout, they'll owe him six million, say they fire him after next year. And then, you know, a hefty percentage of whatever's left, but that cost will be deferred by whatever his new job pays him. And I think having not had that language in and then putting it in, it does, you know, it's kind of a sign of Eli betting on himself and Mizzou also kind of quietly saying, yeah, you know, they, they could be making a change if this doesn't work out. So it, it's in some ways it's a, it's a sign of confidence in him, but it's also, it's also, I think him understanding that he's taking on a little more risk potentially in accepting that new deal. The winner here is, is Eli, of course, but also Jimmy Sexton. And this is what he does. He, he pits these schools against one another and he makes them feel inferior and says, Hey, well, your guy, you don't, you guys don't want to be the school that has the, the, the lowest paid coach in the conference. And, you know, Missouri is totally within its right to say, well, if he wins more, we'll pay him more. And that to me is that this should have happened one way or another after next season or during next season, depending on how it started. The timing of this seems premature to me for that reason. The timing of the announcement seemed awkward because they did it right before a loss to Kentucky. And they know they always have a hard time beating Kentucky. So it, it, I think it could have could have played out a little bit better in terms of the optics um, but you're right about the Eli not having anything else to say. We're not winning because of this. I mean, you named a bunch of them, the facility, the indoor facility that he wanted. Um, the contract that he got initially, Dave, he had coached, he'd been a head coach for one year at right. App State and he gets a $4 million contract and partly elevated because of the chaos that led to the hire. They had to overpay because there had been such a ridiculous search process. And that was a lot of it, which involved on the curator's as well, who got involved if they didn't like Jim Sterk's initial list, if we remember back, you look at, um, you know, the way they stepped up to keep Blake Baker, the the salary pool that you mentioned that's going into this. Uh, also, beyond that, the fans, you know, there's been a lot of talk, and I've said a lot about it, Mizzou fans, you got to meet a coach in the middle, you got to do your part, it can't be right. chicken or the egg, you can't say only win, and then we'll show up to games, only win, and then we'll buy tickets. Well, Missouri fans, to their credit, and this should be mentioned, they've been coming to games. They've been buying tickets and they've been buying tickets, even though they lost a terrible game at Auburn and they've been buying tickets, even though there was that embarrassing game at, 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 at Kansas state, you know, they're showing up. There was the biggest announced crowd of the season for the Kentucky game. The last one, another kind of heartbreaking loss. So I think the fans are doing their part and Eli, you know, that's not something that, that, that he can say, Hey, we're, we're not getting the support. They're getting the support. So everything that, that, should be there for a very successful year for. And I don't, what is a very successful year for? It's a good bowl game. It's not having to worry about, are they going to be a bowl team? It's a bowl right. game that Mizzou fans and administration can be proud about. It's a bowl game that Mizzou fans want to go to. And if that's not the result in year four, and there's no one knows who the quarterback is and the offensive line still stinks and the offense can't, can't, can't move its way out of a wet paper bag, then that's, this contract is, is not going to stop Mizzou from having to make a change, I don't think. Absolutely. I mean, there's a there's a former head coach living down in Orlando right now with six million dollars deposited into his bank account who can tell you right now contracts don't mean anything. And Missouri is willing to pay you a buyout if they don't want you to be the coach anymore. So uh, that's proof positive. Uh, what one other point. was an example of a coach who doesn't just run off and get the next job either. He's right. like, I'll just hang out for a while and enjoy my uh, there is, enjoy my hard earned buyout money. 
on that buyout, there is language in there. It says that as part of this, he's required to seek employment after this game. Right. He just can't go to ESPN and be like, Hey, I'm going to bank my buyout and have some fun watching games this year. So um, that is part of it. And I would, I would, I would have suggested putting a clause in that says pursue an opportunity in coaching. That is, that is, that it goes beyond being a, a, an Alabama analyst <laughs> because that's what that's, that's the most common. No, I mean, look, Hey, very well could happen that Mizzou comes out, wins a bunch of games next year, and this looks like Mizzou stepping up and giving confidence in the right coach prematurely, and it works out great, and it leads to a long, successful thing. I I, I will say I, I think the I think the amount of the, <laughs> the raise is a little uh, aggressive and and probably unforced. Um, so that's that's uh, it was a lot, but I will say you know Mizzou, and I've said this before, can't, has to get out of the habit of just recycling coaches you know, every three, four years. So this is the kind of commitment that more than says they're willing to stick it out with Eli, at least if next season bodes well. But I just, I think one read on this was like, okay, they're Eli's their guy, no matter what. And I think all it has really done is just turn the volume up on what needs to be a very good fourth season. Absolutely. Well, one more point on that, on the staff salary pool. Um, we had a couple weeks ago where Eli said he would be open to having someone else call plays next year, interpret that as hiring an offensive coordinator. This, this, the pool went up. Um, I was told specifically that it was, it went up with the idea that he can do that and not just the idea it's, it's built in there. So he can't say there's not enough money to hire an offensive coordinator. I'd like to, but there's just not enough money. No, now that's not a reason. So if he chooses not to, it's because he doesn't want one, not necessarily because he can't pay for one. Oh, he can pay for whatever he wants. He can pay for an offensive coordinator who wears solid gold headset during the uh, <laughs> during the game. Um, and look, hey, Eli, if the if the if the administration thinks you might be better off hiring an offensive coordinator and play call, you probably should do that based off probably. of uh, this contract that you just got. Now, hiring the right one, I think, is going to be important, and um, and you're going to need to show some reasons that you know that the initial labeling of the hire, which was offensive guru, play caller, extraordinaire, um, is, is evolving maybe for the better because that was the, the message when Eli was hired is he was going to call plays and this offense was going to be electric and get vertical and do cool things. And we've seen some elements of it. We've also seen some really fundamental struggles. So right, maybe an offensive line. I don't know if they need to change a coach. I don't know if they just need to flood it with transfers and hope that the guys who are coming back get better. But the offensive line has to be a focus, play calling for sure. Um, and how about quarterback, Dave? I mean, I hate to sit there and talk about next season when there's still games left in this one, but you've got to have a better answer at quarterback. And I'm not saying that can't be Brady Cook if he developed, but they've got to have a more sure thing at quarterback this year, whether it's Cook playing better, whether it's Sam Horn playing well after not having played at least to this point this season, maybe we see him in the New Mexico State game. Um, also, maybe with the pressure going up on Eli, you maybe have to look at that transfer portal again and, and see if maybe there's something in there that can help you. But if you go get a guy there for one year, then you might lose the guys you've had. So it's a that's a that's that's going to be a big offseason storyline again, I think, at quarterback. Right. And I think you've got to, I mean, you don't know who you're going to be able to get, but you just can't go in it and try to make up your plan as it goes along. I think you've got to go right. into it with uh, – got to be very – up front with the quarterbacks on the roster and let them know what's going to happen because you could lose those guys too. So we'll see. I mean, there's going to be plenty to discuss when it comes to that. But speaking of quarterbacks and offense, Missouri's going up a pretty against a pretty good one on Saturday when they go to Tennessee. 
Uh, they go against the number five balls. We're coming off of that tough loss at Georgia. And Tennessee's in a pretty uh, well-defined situation right now. They're outside of the mix of the playoffs, and they've probably got to put up some style points in these last three weeks to get back in. And they'll need some help. I mean, one of the there's going to be a loss of the teams ahead of them because Michigan plays Ohio State still, so we know that. Um, but to overcome one of those Big Ten teams, they might have to put up some really impressive scores. And who do they play? They play Missouri, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt. Opportunity is there. Now, Missouri's got the best defense of those three. I, I do think uh, Missouri's defense can have a good game on Saturday. But, and we've said this a lot this year, they have to have nearly a perfect game to overcome its own offense. So what do you think of this matchup? Uh, can, can Missouri maybe catch Tennessee on a hangover? Are they going to bounce back? Do the Tigers have any offense that they can score and, and make this a game? Or is this just going to be, you know, an orange crush? Well, I don't like the matchup for Missouri, and I don't like the timing, and I don't like the location. Um, Tennessee's coming off that. Otherwise, that's great. <laughs> yeah, Tennessee's coming off that humbling loss to Georgia. They're back at home where 100-plus thousand is going to sound like two, and, you know, they're 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 going to be seeking style points. Um, I was starting to feel better about maybe Missouri's chance to, to, to give up a good – have a good fight in some of these games after what we saw at South Carolina, a tough place to play, a complete game, avoided some of the mistakes, and then it kind of lapsed back a little bit against Kentucky. And granted, we know the call, roughing the kicker call was really weird. Um, we wrote about it. You and I were there. Um, it's gotten lost in all the conversation of the the contract extension, but that wasn't the only chance they had to win that game. I mean, Missouri's defense had a position to seal a win and, and couldn't get it done. You hate putting anything on this defense with how good it's played, but you're right. It has to be perfect. And it will have to be perfect or dang near close to it on Saturday for this team to have a chance. Um, you know, one thing I think is a key to this game, it's not a sexy thing, but turnovers. I mean, when, when Brady Cook has bad turnovers, Missouri doesn't win. And Tennessee has the best turnover margin in the SEC. I think they're plus eight. Missouri is on the negative side. So if you're turning the ball over in this game, you're probably going to lose. Um, you might lose anyway. But if you can create a couple turnovers, if you can protect the ball, that's that's going to be a realistic way for the Tigers to have a chance. Expecting the offense to explode, I don't see it. Tennessee's defense isn't great, but if you actually look at points per game, they're allowing about the same as Missouri. Um, their defense, I think, is getting misrepresented a little bit because of how we know how the Josh Heupel offense plays. It turns and burns. It's high tempo, and it puts a lot of stress on a defense, but Tennessee's defense is doing a pretty good job of, of playing around that and being a nice kind of counterpunch to the offense. So I think those are the fundamentals. I think it's going to be a really, really hard game for Missouri to win. Yeah, you know, I, I went and watched the Georgia-Tennessee game. I couldn't watch it live because I was working Saturday, but went back and watched a replay of it. And Georgia just really got after Hendon Hooker. They they sacked him, I think, six times, pressured him like pro football focus had him down for 25 pressures, and that's, that's incredible. Um, I think Missouri's defensive front can do things like that. The difference is uh, – Georgia has the corners and safeties who they can, you know, play on an island and lock down their secondary. And they got a lot of coverage sacks. You know, Hooker was just kind of biding time back there, and eventually the dam broke and somebody got to him. So Missouri's going to have to cover on the back end. I, I, I like what Ennis Rakestraw and Chris Abrams-Drain, have, they've developed into a really good tandem, but they've got to be great in this game because those Tennessee receivers, all those routes they run, they, they go a lot of deep routes, but if they, they read the coverage – 
they can break them off and get and get short passes and they can just dink and dunk you down the field too. I mean, we've seen uh, this offense be able to adjust to uh, to the defense like that when when Josh Heupel had Drew Locke at Missouri. So, and they also run the ball. I mean, we saw that last year. If 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 the they'll count the number of defenders in the box, and if it's a light box, they will run and run and run. They went for what four hundred and sixty something against Steve Wilkes's defense last year. And I don't think they'll get to that on Saturday. But don't think of this Tennessee offense as just uh, you know nothing but throwing the ball. They will run if they can. And that, yeah, usually if they can't run, they can't score. It's it's a big part of their their offense of DNA under Josh. So it's a tough matchup. It, again, it puts so much strain on Missouri's offense to be able to score some points. They just, like you said, they can't turn it over. They can't play behind the chains. Um, they can't be rattled by the crowd. You know, Brady Cook was saying the other day that that South Carolina crowd was was really loud, and he thought they overcame it. But you know, that was eighty something. This is going to be a hundred and one something. So it's different. It's just a different beast. Uh, so I, can they keep it close? It's a, what is it, a three touchdown spread? I think they've got the defense to be able to do that for the most part, but I could also see them kind of reaching their breaking point that, it, that if this is, if they have to carry this team another week, um, you know, maybe there's some letdown. There kind of was last week. Will Levis had three touchdowns all on third downs in the red zone. I mean, there's only so much you can do if you're Missouri's defense. You, you, you can't, it's really hard to be perfect. And I, I just kind of get the hunch that's what's going to happen in this game. Eli said it on Saturday. They got to start games better. And oh yeah, if they don't, if they come out slow in this game, it could get ugly oh, because yeah. it'll it'll be rocking. Now you come out, play well to start, then maybe Tennessee's going. Man, we lost to Georgia. We here we are losing to a Missouri team we thought we would roll against. And maybe you start to start start to build on a little bit of. Tennessee, how do they respond to getting punched in the mouth for the first time this season at Georgia? So there's some questions about how they bounce back from that. Take advantage of those questions. If not, they'll get their confidence back pretty quick. Dave, I think while we were recording this, Southern Indiana just made like three more three-pointers. <laughs> <laughs> what That was weird, fluky kind of into the game, but got a little closer than Missouri would have wanted in Dennis Gates opener. But they get the win. They avoid the you know Florida State losing to Stetson debacle avoid commanders and losing to umkc debacle what'd you make of of the team it sure looks like dennis gates is throwing a bunch of different looks and lineups out there trying to kind of get a feel for who he's going to be able to rely on thought kobe looked good a little little not i don't want to say concerned surprised that isaiah mosley didn't start um is that kind of a hey you're gonna have to earn this kind of thing is he in the doghouse what's what's the what's your read on that i I don't think the concern should be he didn't start it's why do you only play four minutes in the second half uh, and it, it, there was a, a moment there where Gates pulled him aside and was definitely trying to send a message to him. I, I thought he was really casual with the ball and he had about three straight possessions where it looked like he was playing one on five, wasn't too interested in passing and was trying to get his, and that's just not going to work on this team. You got, they've got other good players. I, I think Missouri fans are fooling themselves if they think he's going to duplicate his production from Missouri state and average 20 points a game. That's just not going to happen. He can still be a really good player really productive guy. I thought he was in their exhibition game, but um, he's going to have to share the ball more. He's a good passer. There's no reason he can't. He's got great skills besides just shooting the ball, but he's going to have to buy in. And I'm not saying he's not bought in, but he's he's adjusting. Like this is different for him. He's never been like a sidekick. He's, he's always been the guy, you know, in college basketball. So a, a little bit of a learning curve maybe for him and for Dennis on how to coach him. You know, he's, he's used to some of these guys. Um, remember, you know, Mosley didn't join this team till June. You know, yeah. he's got 
four guys on this team that he coached at Cleveland State, even though a couple are walk-ons. And he was around the Kobe Browns and the Ronnie DeGrays and some of the other guys that, that uh, you know, around the program a little bit earlier. So a uh, little bump in the road there. And I think, you know, the score looked a lot closer than that game was. It was a 20-point game with four minutes to go. But that's the power of the three-pointer. I mean, you cannot – no lead is safe in this sport. And Conzo's teams learn that the hard way sometimes. I think the good news – for this Missouri team, based on a very small sample size, is I don't think their offense is going to be the one that just turns it over 20 times a game. I think the ball is safe in the hands of Nick Honor and Sean East and Trey Gomillion. Like when when uh, Southern Indiana was making that run, it wasn't like Missouri was just turning it over all the time and doing stupid stuff. They just were hitting ridiculous threes. And the Missouri would – they'd foul, and Missouri would go to the line and maybe only hit one of two. Right. Or even if they hit two of two – uh, a three is still worth more. So that's kind of what happened there. I, I do think they're going to be more fundamentally sound than what we saw from that team last year that, you know, just found ways to give up the ball and just look abysmal on the offensive end. I don't know if they're going to be a great three-point shooting team, but I think that assist to turnover part is going to be much more in their favor. And that's, that's a good sign. Tempo was more enjoyable, yep. um, a little faster pace, a little more athleticism. Some by Kobe, who's all of a sudden now dunking the ball very easily, seems to have made some smart adjustments to the way he's playing body type-wise. So if you're going to be a team that's trying to figure it out on the fly, be athletic, be fast, and uh, be fun to watch. And it sure seems like this team could have some of those components. I I find it interesting Gates is really complimenting the non-scoring aspects of Mosley's games, which kind of sounds like uh, he's nudging them to be a more complete player. We know he can score and shoot. Um, the question for me was going to be his defense. Uh, watching him at Arch Madness at times, even in a tournament-style setting, he could be almost apathetic defensively, and I think that's not going to work for Gates. Uh, you got to be a more total player. So it sure seems like it's a combination of tough love going on there, but also trying to highlight some of his other other skills. Um, I think they need him to be a starter, Dave. Maybe I'm wrong there, but it sure seems like that's that would be the best version of this team. We'll see. I think he's going to try a lot of different looks for this team as it moves forward. So they play Penn next. We've got Mizzou at Tennessee. Um, I'll have a column coming out about Eli's contract numbers now that we have the details. Great job by you, Dave, breaking the story there. And encourage folks to check out all the Mizzou coverage at stltoday.com. And we'll be back next week for another I'm a Tigers podcast. For Dave, I'm Ben. We'll talk to you next week.